Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking specifically at verse 7. The last sermon I preached was verses 1 through 6, which speaks primarily, or which speaks directly to wives. And today's message, this afternoon's message, will be directed to husbands. And I just want to thank um, specifically those men who made the extra effort to come. I know that the weather is poor outside, um, but I'm thankful that uh, those who were able to come are here and uh, also those who are joining online. <clears throat> so let's read together First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I'd also like to read two verses from Ephesians 5, verse 23, which says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. May God bless the reading of his word. The reason that I read these two verse, these two verses, um, in Ephesians 5, along with this verse in 1 Peter 3 7, is that, um, they serve as a beautiful backdrop, I think, to, um, what Peter is saying here. As it describes with beautiful imagery um, the relationship between a husband and wife, that marriage relationship, and how it is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. It's a beautiful depiction of that, a beautiful image of that. And we see how even as it uses these words, even as, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And we are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. So it's this comparison that is being drawn, this reflective comparison between the relationship of the husband and wife to Christ and his church. It's a beautiful picture because it points us to Christ. It points us to Christ as our model. Again, just as Christ is the head of the church, we are to be, we are the head of our wives. And just as he loved the church, we are to love our wives. And this understanding as husbands, I think, gives us incredible insight as we consider this, our relationship, our marriage relationship. It gives incredible insight into our calling as husbands to understand what true love is how Christ demonstrated that true love and we're to have that same love and what true headship is. And it informs our duty, informs your duty as husbands to the way that you live together with your wives, the way you interact with her, with your wife. And the first thing I want us to notice here, um, just as we think about particularly this this concept and, and this instruction here of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 is that God does not call husbands to be the head. He does not call husbands to be the head, but he simply states that the husband is the head. Just think about that for a second. He's not calling husbands to be the head. He's stating that they are the head. 
As he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And I think that's noteworthy because the question that really comes to each of us, to each of you as husbands, is not whether you will be the head, but what kind of head you will be. That's the question that is posed to each of you here today. And it's the question that I want to, for each of you to consider. Jesus taught and showed us what true headship is. Again, we look at Christ as the example of the head, even as Christ is the head of the church. We see that example, but Christ also taught us what that means. And Mark 10, 42 um, to 45, I think Christ describes that quite clearly when he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall be not so among you, but whosoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Christ taught us, Christ taught you what true headship is. He is our example of headship. He showed us, he demonstrated that through his life beautifully, perfectly. We see that even as it says here, for even so the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. That's incredible when we take the time to stop and consider the example of Christ as our head and as our leader. True headship is not lording over, but serving, giving. That is the definition of true headship as explained and exemplified by Jesus Christ. And I just, I want to just lay that down, I guess, as a foundation. Before we approach this subject of the husband now, it's, it's switching. We're, we talked about the, the submission of the wife to her husband and now how the husband should deal with his wife. Um, and this sort of order of authority that God has established. But I want to lay that down as the foundation because I think we need to really seriously consider this example that Christ left and the teaching that Christ gave of what true headship is. True headship. And this image of true headship really um, needs to be clarified because it comes in such stark contrast to what I would call maybe the reign of men um, throughout human history, um, which is not a great legacy by and large. If we consider how men have, and husbands uh, who are corrupted by sin over the ages have used their strength, have used their dominance to exploit, to dominate, to control, to lord over, as it says here, as Jesus even described of, of the, the rulers of the Gentiles, how they lord over them, and how, how we oftentimes... Um, find ourselves in that position, right? That's been sort of the dominant um, thought uh, of this sort of reign of men throughout human history. And really, men have demonstrated, have demonstrated that they don't understand what true headship is. Men do not understand what it truly means to be a leader, to be a good husband, um, as it relates specifically to the subject that we're talking about here today. And as we've witnessed the, the feminist movement, um, over the last 50 years, so to speak, it's really been a reaction. In many ways, it's been a reaction to that, to this sort of overthrowing of the exploitation of women and of wives. And as much as a lot of us may look back 
at, you know, the sort of pre-feminist movement in our Western culture, maybe, you know, pre-1960s, and we think, oh, those are kind of the golden years. Those were the years when wives used to submit to their husband, and now that's all kind of gone and thrown away. And, you know, if we could just go back to that, that would be so much better. We just want to, you know, rewind things 50, 60 years, and then everything would be good. And the reality is that's not true. That's not true at all. Those were not the golden years. For most of human history, men and husbands really have exploited their wives, and it's to our own shame. And as women and as wives have reacted to that in these movements, um, oftentimes in, in not, you know, that's an inappropriate way of, of reacting or responding, I guess I would say that in, me, in some ways, perhaps as men and as husbands, we deserve that. Because of the way that we have lorded and we have not treated our wives um, as the scriptures tells us to and instructs us to. And we, in many ways, deserve that as we see this pendulum swing and and the reputation of men has been reduced down to, um, has basically gone. I mean, it's basically been reduced to to rubble. You have this image of, like, Homer Simpson, which is just such a terrible representation of the American dad, of of just everything that represents what a man is today. It's been reduced to rubble. And we don't understand what true headship is. It's been lost. And that's really where we find ourselves today. But the Scriptures calls us to embrace our masculine mandate as men, as husbands, as fathers, there is a mandate and seeks to, that seeks to redeem what was ruined by sin and to restore what God established in the garden. And we see this goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the garden when God established this mandate of, of what a man is. That was something that was not created by us. It's not something that was developed and, and created by culture and society, and now it can just be transformed into something else. Like I said, the example of Homer Simpson, that, oh, that's what a man means to be now. No, it was something that was established in creation and established by God. And even though it's been corrupted by sin, God is working to redeem that in the lives of his children. And you as Christian husbands, to be brought back, to be redeemed, and to be restored back to that masculine mandate. And to display to a lost and a dying world the redemptive and transforming power of grace in the lives of God's children. That's Peter's desire for these husbands. That's the context here that we find ourselves in. Again, this is all wrapped up in the witness to the world. How we, in submission to the authorities, and now the reverse of that, um, sort of functioning within the authorities that God has established, how that is a witness to the world. And that's Peter's desire in this text, and that's my desire for each of you. So let's look specifically at the text. We're going to go through the verse and just sort of break it down. And uh, as we go along, I'll make some some applications to this. So verse 7, I'll read it one more time. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So, as I mentioned before, um, chapter 3 began with the first six verses where Peter is addressing the wives specifically, and um, he spends six verses addressing them, and now on this seventh verse, he switches to the husbands. And the fact that Peter spends six verses addressing wives and only one verse addressing husband 
husbands, I don't think speaks anything to the fact that um, we need less instruction or that we are somehow less prone to fail. In fact, I would say that by and large, the more marriages and more families have been destroyed by the failures of husbands than of wives. I think that that could be proven true very easily. And it's really a sobering reminder for all of us, for all of us as husbands, of the responsibility that we have. The responsibility that we have as husbands, the calling that we have, the mandate that we have, and to understand that the stakes are high as we consider the effect and the impact that this has upon our wives and upon our families. And also to remember that our marriage is a reflection of that relationship between Christ at the church, Christ and the church. So again, it brings it back to this idea of witness, that we are witnesses to the world, and that as they look at us, as they look at our marriages, to see how we as husbands interact with our wives, that says something to the world as they see that. It says something to the world about what, at least in their mind, is their understanding of Christ and the church. Because it's all a reflection And our marriage is by design a witness. And it's no wonder then that marriage is under such attack. And that this relationship has been corrupted. Because because if Satan can corrupt that, then he can distort this institution that God has established to reflect that beautiful relationship. So as we um, begin looking at this verse, uh, I think before we get into the details, we need to just, I want to clarify, I guess, who this is addressed to. And I want to be very specific about this because I think it's, it's, it's an important fact to consider that as Peter is addressing um, husbands here, he is specifically addressing Christian husbands. He's addressing Christian husbands. And I don't say that to exclude any, um, anyone in particular, but to highlight the fact that if you are a husband and you are not a Christian, then the principles... The instruction, the knowledge that is given here may be helpful. Um, It may be useful to some degree in your marriage because it's true. But at the end of the day, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, it will fall short of accomplishing what and really anything meaningful within your marriage apart from Jesus Christ. This sermon is is not a self-help message. This sermon is not a how to have a better marriage, how to fix your marriage in three simple steps. That's not what this sermon is about. And that is not what you need. If you are not a Christian and your marriage is struggling, you don't need tips on how to have a better marriage, how to fix your marriage. What you really need is Christ. What you need more than anything is Jesus Christ. And as Christ comes into your life, that will redeem your marriage. That's the message that Peter is giving here as he's translating what he talked about in chapter 1 of of everything that Christ has done for these Christian husbands that he is specifically addressing here. Everything that Christ has done and how that transforms your marriage. It's the then and the now. It's the contrast that we see. And what I don't want anyone to come out of this sermon, I don't want anyone to come out of this sermon saying that I just need to try harder as a husband. You know, this is just telling me how I can just do a better job at being a husband. And that's sort of all it's been reduced down to. 
Your marriage will never be what God has intended it to be. It will never be what God intended it to be, namely to reflect the glorious relationship between Christ and the church, this beautiful mystery of the, of the headship of Christ and, and his church and, and of the husband and his wife, that beautiful image. Your marriage will never and can never be that apart from Jesus Christ. And if you say this afternoon that, mm, my marriage is good, it's good enough, it's fine, there's nothing particularly wrong with my marriage, then I would ask you, how do you define a good marriage? What defines for you what a good marriage is? If you think your marriage is good, what is a good marriage? Because there's lots of people, there's lots of unbelievers who have good marriages. But what truly makes a good marriage? And I want to challenge you to examine your marriage. Examine the way that you interact with your wife and that you lead her and that you um, live with her. I want you to examine that in the light of this scripture and this text, and understand what truly a good marriage is and what it means to be a good husband. So verse 7 begins, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So Peter's instructing these husbands on how to live with their wives. And before we talk about what it means to live with them according to knowledge, um, I think we shouldn't miss the simple fact that husbands, as it says here, Husbands, dwell with them. Dwell with your wives. Live with them. Be near them. Be present with them. Dwell with them. That's, that's what it's saying. And, and, and it's easy to sort of glaze over this, but I think it's an, it's an important point to be made because there's something, our culture, I guess I could say, it's probably nothing new in particular, but definitely very prevalent in our culture is this idea of the absence of husbands. And fathers, but specifically of husbands, where there is this sort of disconnect or this disinterest that husbands have, whether it's physically, um, whether it's just mentally, they're just not there. There's this absence. And it can be a variety of different things, whether their con- husbands are consumed in their work, traveling for work, or just spending countless hours at work, and they're separated from their wives whether they're caught up in pursuits, hobbies, sports, just hanging out with the guys, whatever it is, there are many things that can draw husbands away from their relationship with their wives, where they're there, but they're not really there. And there's just something about being present. As as Peter says here, to dwell with your wives. That's so important. And I just, I want to challenge the, the, the men and challenge the husbands here and ask you, where are you? Where are you as husbands? How connected are you with your wife? Are you close to your wife? Do you dwell together with her? Because this is is critical in your marriage relationship that you dwell together. As he says here, dwell with them. Is your wife always on your mind? Is she just someone that you come home to and it's like, oh, there she is? Or is she someone that is on your mind constantly and you are dwelling, you are living together, you are present together with each other? This is so critical because we see when there's this breakdown, that's when bad things happen. Look back at the garden. Where was Adam? Where was Adam when Eve fell into sin? He was not there. There was this absence. There was this, this presence. And 
You know, it's, it just, you see so many marriages where husband and wife, they live together, but it's, that's all it is. They live together, and there's nothing more, but this scripture calls us to dwell together with them, to dwell with them, as it says. But it's not just about being present, because there's a lot of marriages where husbands and wives are present together, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good marriage. But he goes on, he says, dwell with your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge. According to knowledge. What does that mean? What does it mean when he says, dwell with them according to knowledge? Now, remember that this is addressed to Christian husbands, right? So those who have been born again unto a living hope, as he says in chapter 1. Those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Those whose lives have been transformed and are now living as, as he says back in chapter 1, verse 14, now live as obedient children. And he's He's building it on the premise that something has changed. There was what they were, and this is what they are now. And actually, verse 14, it says, um, who now live, he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Note that word ignorance. Okay? So there was one, so basically what he's saying here is he's, he's creating this contrast between knowledge and ignorance. And he's saying, there was once a time when you lived in ignorance. There was once a time when you lived in ignorance and that drove you to conduct, to fashion your life. He uses the word fashion here. You fashion your life, your relationships, your marriage. Everything was fashioned in a certain way according to that ignorance that you lived in. Not according to knowledge, but now... You have been redeemed. Your eyes have been opened. You have been given that knowledge, that right understanding. And therefore, he says, husbands, dwell with your lives according to that knowledge, to according to the knowledge that you now have. The knowledge of who they are as a wife, and we'll get to that specifically in a moment, that they are the weaker vessel, that they are heirs, yet they are fellow heirs of the grace of life. I'll explain those more in a minute. But also the knowledge of who you are as a husband, your role as a husband of being that, that, that true headship to love your wife, to lead your wife, to protect your wife, to provide for your wife. Now, this verse can be read a couple different ways. Um, most of the translations... Actually, the King James translates it the most literally. It says, according to knowledge. Some um, modern translations translate it this way. They say, live with your wives in an understanding way. And I think that's a a fair translation. Um, It is Because it is correct that we should, um, husbands should live with their wives in an understanding and a considerate way. Um, Husbands should should seek to live with their wives in a, um, and see things from their perspective. And oftentimes my wife will see things or recognize things that I don't see. And there's just, there's something about that, the beauty of that union and that relationship where a husband and a wife dwell together in a way that they complement one another. They each have different strengths and weaknesses and together, when they are together, they make up something that is, um, I guess the sum is more than this, sorry, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. It's just, it's, it's so much more together. And oftentimes, like I said, my wife will, will, will see things that I miss. And that's such a critical 
critical point and that, and there's, there's so much value in that when we see and we, we can thank God for that as husbands. We should thank God for our wives who are there to recognize things that we don't recognize and to see things that we don't see. And we need to live with them in an understanding way in that sense. To understand them, to listen to them. And there's no question about that. But at the same time, we need to be careful not to, to, I think, misapply what this scripture is saying. And I struggled with this, really trying to understand what does it mean to live with your wife according to knowledge, to live with her in an understanding way. And I think one of the misapplications would be that as husbands, we are supposed to simply always just, um, that her perspective is really the only thing that matters. Um, that, you know, as husbands, we just come alongside her and, you know, we just rub her back and say, oh, whatever you want, sweetie. And, you know, it's, you know, whatever you feel like, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And just sort of go along with everything that the, that she thinks and feels and says. And, and if we're not doing that, then we're not living with our wife in an understanding way. And I don't think that's what Peter is trying to say here. And as right as my wife oftentimes is, she is not perfect. Um, she doesn't have full knowledge. And I don't say that to um, to put her down in any way or to put any wife down in any way because I'm not speaking specifically about my wife. I'm speaking about all wives in general here. Is that wives do not have an unlimited understanding of knowledge and perspective. And sometimes wives can be wrong. And as husbands, we need to be discerning and have good judgment to understand our wives, and to understand, to listen what they are saying, to understand what they are saying, and it is our responsibility as as the leaders and as the heads of our homes to discern that. If there is sin, that needs to be dealt with. Um, if there's something that's not right, it is ultimately your responsibility as a husband to um, deal with that in the appropriate way, in an understanding way. But I believe primarily what this text is saying here is that Christian husbands should live with their wives no longer in ignorance, um, in ignorance of God's will, in ignorance of their role as husbands, in ignorance of how they are to view and to treat their wives, but rather to dwell with them according to knowledge and to really understand what that true headship is. And I want to challenge all of the husbands here to really consider that, to consider your mandate and to search the scriptures and to seek godly examples and to take seriously your calling and as men and as husbands and to dwell with your wife according to knowledge, as this verse says. And what is that knowledge? Well, Peter gets very specific here in explaining what that knowledge is. As he says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So Peter's instruction is to live with your wife according to knowledge, to give honor unto them. Why? Here's the first insight. Because they are the weaker vessel. By design, the wife is the weaker vessel. And I don't say that in any way. The scriptures does not say that in any way to minimize or to tear down um, wives of who they are. That's not the case at all, that they are somehow inferior to men. I I think I made it pretty clear in the last sermon that God created men and women, husbands and wives, equal yet distinct. They're equal yet distinct. 
And when Peter says that the wife is the weaker vessel, I think he's simply pointing to the fact that she is physically weaker than men. I don't think there's anything more to that fact that, that she is weaker. And, and in, in some ways, she is stronger, but in a physical sense, she is weaker. She is the weaker vessel. And it's just pointing out the fact that there's a difference between men and women. And that's just a reality that we cannot deny. You know, when we even consider um, sports, just use that as an example, that um, within sports, you look at the Olympics, there's a reason that there's segregation in the sense of the, the sports that go on. There's men and there's ladies that compete. Why? Because there's a difference. Genetically, there's a difference between men and women. And that's just a reality. And it's something that we need to embrace. And it's I think one of the reasons that it's being challenged so much in our culture today is because of the abuse that has come over the centuries, over the years, um, where men have used their strength to take advantage of women, to abuse them, to dominate them. And now women, again, are reacting to that. And um, instead of turning to men to, to lo- for love, to uh, for protection, for provision, they are on this quest, as it were, to prove that they can do anything that a man can. And that's just not the case. They can't do anything that men can. They have a physical limitation when it comes to men in comparison to men. They were not created that way by God. And when men, what men and women need to do is to just embrace that understanding and that reality. And husbands, knowing that your wife is, as the scripture says, the weaker vessel, is not an opportunity for you to lord over her. It's not an opportunity for you to lord over her, but rather... It should bring clarity to your responsibility as a husband and motivate you to protect her and to not dominate over her, but to protect her, to provide for her, to love her, and understanding that that she is the weaker vessel, and that should bring clarity to your mandate and to take this truth and to apply it to your marriage, as you approach different situations and consider how this knowledge, again, this is talking about living with your wives according to knowledge. How does this knowledge dictate how you live with your wife? The knowledge that she is the weaker vessel, it, 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 it should demand something of you. That knowledge should demand something of you. When you are tempted to be a lazy husband, which is huge today in our culture, when you are tempted to laziness, This knowledge should move you to work hard, to provide, and to not say, oh, you know what, my wife can work too, so I don't, I can slack off in my responsibility. You know, it's okay, we have two incomes, so I don't need to be the breadwinner, it's okay if she is. No, this knowledge of her as the weaker vessel should move you to understand, to understand that you are called to provide for your wife. Um, it should also, um, move you when you are tempted to passiveness, um, to be more assertive, to lead, to protect your wife. When you are tempted to be harsh, this knowledge should move you, that, that she is the weaker vessel, should move you to be kinder, more tender, more understanding, more loving towards your wife, to dwell with your knife, wife according to this knowledge knowing that she is the weaker vessel. That's, that's the first insight that Peter gives here. And the second is this. 
It says, giving honor unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together, or fellow heirs, of the grace of life. And even though she is the weaker vessel, she is no less an heir of the grace of life, as he says here. And, and just defining these terms, Peter's talking about an heir, that's someone who is to receive an inheritance. And I think this goes back to chapter 1, where he talked about um, those who have been redeemed, those who are children of God, um, have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, and that is reserved in heaven for you. So he's talking about this inheritance, and that your wife is a fellow heir of that inheritance, and of, it says, as the grace of life, this, this grace that is to come, you know, where it says hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your wife, husbands, your wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. And if, if you have a believing wife, she is that fellow heir. And in terms of her standing, even though you are a husband and you are over her in the order of authority that God has established, her standing is equal with you in her position before God. That's the knowledge that Peter is, is giving forth here. It does not mean that she is any less valuable in God's eyes. She is of equal value. She is equally precious. And we as husbands need to see that. And how does this impact our marriage? How does that knowledge impact um, how you live with your wife? Well, recognizing that should open your eyes to her value. That she is an heir together with you and, and that you should treasure her as God treasures her. And that she is someone that you should care for and that you should um, provide for and that you should love for, love her because she is valuable. She is equally precious in God's sight. She is a child of God and a fellow heir of the grace of life, as he says it here. And I guess the application would be, you know, how do you live with your wife? How do you speak to your wife? How do you treat your wife? Do you speak to her in a way that she is somehow under you, that she's not equal to you, and that you can sort of talk down to her? Or do you speak to your wife in a way that she is a fellow heir, that she has true value and equal value in standing before God to, as it says here, show her honor? And I think that's so important because just having that knowledge of the value of something really brings honor to it. And I mean, maybe one simple example is just that, you know, when you recognize that something has value, you, you begin to honor that thing. Um, have any of you ever had something where um, you didn't, you, you owned something maybe for many years and you never thought it was worth anything and all of a sudden you found out that it was worth something? How did that perspective, how did your perspective of that thing change? As soon as you realize, I mean, you hear sometimes examples of, of people who, you know, they're up in their attic, they've got some old painting, and, you know, they take it out one day, and they find out that it's some famous painting, and it's worth, you know, millions of dollars. How does their perspective of that change when they recognize how valuable it truly is? It totally changes their perspective. Would they take that and put it back in the attic and let it collect dust? No, they're going to take it down. They're going to clean it up. They're going to say, wow, this is so valuable. It's so precious. And they begin to honor that. They take it. They put it up on their wall or they, they protect it. They treasure it. Why? Because they see how valuable it is. And as husbands, 
When it comes to our wives, if we see our wives as valuable, as fellow heirs of the grace of life, if you see the great value in her, that will transform the way that you live with her. This knowledge that Peter gives us here will transform how you speak to her, how you treat her, because you see her as valuable and as precious as God does. And let that knowledge transform how you treat her. This isn't, again, about just trying harder to be more kind, more loving, um, more considerate towards your wife. No, let this, what Peter says, dwelling according to knowledge, let that transform the way that you Live with your wife. Live with her. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Make all the difference. These two insights, that she is the weaker vessel, that she is fellow heirs of the grace of life. And finally, as we wrap this up here, Peter Peter wraps this up in a beautiful incentive here. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers... Be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. The last part of this verse teaches something that is staggering when we really think about it. It says something that should make every husband stop and really think hard about what Peter is saying here. And it's this, that there is a way to live with your wife that either hinders or helps your prayers. Just think about that for a moment. This verse does not say that praying helps you live right, but rather that living right helps you pray. It is true that praying does help you live right. There's no question about that, but that's really not that what this verse is highlighting. This verse is emphasizing the principle that Our horizontal relationships, the way that we interact with one another, and the context here is within the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife, the way that we interact horizontally impacts or affects our vertical relationship. And if you don't have good horizontal relationships, you cannot have a good vertical relationship. One commentator put it this way. He said, So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished in his life without an effective prayer ministry, and no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. The implications of this verse is saying, of what this verse is saying, should be of great, great concern to you. Peter is talking about your prayers, and if If you are not bothered by the fact that your prayers may be hindered by how you live together with your wife, if that fact doesn't bother you, that that relationship that you have with God in prayer could be interrupted, could be hindered by how you live with your wife, then there is something seriously wrong in your relationship with the Lord. There is only one relationship that is more important than your relationship with your wife, and it's your relationship with God. 
And I think that not living with your wife, and to think that not living with your wife in an understanding way could hinder that relationship adds such a level of seriousness to this calling and this mandate that we have as husbands. As it says, to live with your wife in an understanding way that your prayers be not hindered. To live with them according to knowledge. This is our mandate. This is your mandate as husbands. This is my mandate as a husband. God does not call us to be the head. We are the head. The question is, what kind of head will you be? And I pray that God would give us a deeper understanding of what true biblical headship is and that as husbands we would take up that mandate and that calling that we have to live with our wives according to knowledge in an understanding way that our prayers may not be hindered. And may God give us the grace and the strength to do this for the glory of his name. Amen.